Hello everyone, welcome to episode 171 of the N Focus podcast. It's Halloween today, so we're going to be talking about some scary things, but something that's not scary are my co-hosts, uh, one of which is Andrew Brown. What a horrible night to have a curse. And Tori Wassana. Hello. Gonna talk like uh, this the rest of the night. Oh, please don't. <laughs> I give him 10 minutes before he's gasping for water. Okay, so uh, in this episode, we're going to talk about the Castlevania Anniversary Collection, something I finally finished the entirety of. Uh, Andrew's going to talk about The Messenger and uh, a new, I think it's a first-person shooter called Dusk. It's not new, but yeah. And uh, Tori's going to talk about Amnesia, The Dark Descent. So we're going to get into some horror vibes in this episode. So uh, yeah, let's just jump straight into those. Okay, so first up, let's let's get the uh, the oldest thing out of the way, Castlevania anniversary. What are you implying? That we're all old, except maybe Tori. I'm old. Now, <laughs> we, I think Andrew and I talked about this very briefly after I'd finished the first one and started the second one, and then I'd, I'd put it on the back burner. I, I finished it like a, a month and a half ago, and then I thought I'd save it for the Halloween episode, because vampires, Halloween, yada, yada, yada. Uh, so I think we'll just run through the collection. Tori, I think you've played a couple of these in the, the past couple of weeks. Um, well, I played, when this first came out, the first Castlevania. I got through the first couple of levels and just had a, enough of that very quickly. <laughs> well, we'll just run through the games that are included and just go over some, some quick thoughts as, as to where I came away with it. Um, I think I, I'd never played any of the oldest Castlevania games before, or many of the series at all, really, my, my favourite. <laughs> and probably only real experience was with the uh, Lords of Shadow. The the first one particularly was is still one of my favourite games. Love that a lot. I know the sequel didn't fare very well. Part of where I come away with on some of these entries in this one is coloured by the fact that I haven't played a lot of them until now. So we'll yeah. So jump jump into the first one. So Castlevania, uh, the original uh, NES game. Uh, yeah, my my thing when I played it and. Uh, this will probably make Tori roll her eyes because, uh, <laughs> based on what she just said, because I was surprised at how friendly it was in terms of unlimited continues, uh, and it never kicked you all the way back to the beginning of the game. Yeah, that that was my one takeaway. Like the the platforming in it is super challenging. It's got some mm, era specific design things that carried all the way through. Well, pretty much throughout the entire collection, really, in terms of like the uh, finicky way that you have to navigate stairs. Um, that was the thing I was referencing the most in yeah. having enough of it. <laughs> it's uh, yeah, I, I had a good time with it. Like, um, I played the uh, Bloodlines prequel, the eight-bit little side project thing that they did, uh, Curse of the Moon. Um, so I, I had you know some idea of how the game design would work coming back to these and uh yeah I, I i had a good time with it um i definitely dropped a few uh save scums here and there um not not to the point of you know helping me through a level but just at the the start of a level or after very very particularly difficult parts but yeah uh, of, overall quite liked it um it is just you know it's a platformer of its era it's it's uh you know, you just got to get through the level and then you're on to the next one. The power-ups make a really... I found they made a neg- negligible difference in this one. Yeah, uh, Andrew, you've you've played this like many times, right? Childhood staple. Um, I don't know if I've told this story in the podcast before, but uh, when I was a kid, now four or five years old maybe, uh, my parents got me and my brother an NES for Christmas. 
expecting us to share it. That that lasted about six months, and then I had my own NES, but that's another story. Uh, <laughs> uh, the game that I got for Christmas was Burger Time, and my brother got Castlevania. So one of the first games I ever played, one of the first games I ever had access to. Yeah, I've played a fair bit of Castlevania, <laughs> but being the age I was and the time it came out, and also the fact that it was considered my brother's game, there was kind of a a wall there for me a little bit in terms of getting into it. It was a long time, maybe a good 20 years before I sat down and really played it and got through it. And it's good, but it's not my favorite Castlevania by far. Mm-hmm. So that brings me up to Castlevania 2, Simon's Quest, the uh, next sequel. And I'll just say straight up the bat, this is my favorite game in the collection for a lot of reasons. It's like way ahead of its time. I know, I know we've covered some of this in a previous episode, but um it's still a side scroller, but it's kind of like an open world RPG. Um, it's got day night cycles, and enemies react to that time. You have to navigate not only the world, but villages where uh, people will give you information, sometimes outright lies, just to send you down the, the wrong garden path. The main part of the game is trying to get the things that will allow you to uh, get to Dracula's castle. That involves getting into like these these other castles to collect parts of his i think it's body parts dracula body parts and yeah just this the the whole thing was just really entertaining i I liked how it felt like you know one long adventure rather than intersected levels i did resort to a guide a couple of times especially with the the misinformation stuff um some of the some of those hints are a little uh obtuse as well but you know how long did it take you to figure out how to hit your head against the cliff wall I think I looked that up. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I, I got very stuck at one point and had to look. And it was near the end. Mm-hmm. The only thing I will make a comparison about with the other games is that the bosses are really easy compared to the other entries. I don't know if that was a balancing thing because they decided that the the navigation and the puzzle solving is, you know, enough. But um, yeah, I, as soon as I had the Holy Flame, like every boss was easy because I could just get them stuck in a loop of uh, pausing in flame while I wailed on them. Um, even Dracula was uh, super, super easy. But yeah, I, I was surprised because I was looking at, when I finished the collection, I was I was looking at reviews to see how the anniversary collection had been received, and like a bunch of them say this is the worst thing in the collection, which blows my mind. Was this one of your favorites as well, Andrew? Yeah, I really like this game. I've always really liked this game, always been a defender of it even though it's it's very unusual and it was it was very disliked when it came out i think famously the angry video game nerd got his start bashing on this game and uh <laughs> i think a lot of the vitriol around the game out there on the internet is actually kind of just quoting that movie instead of you know actually playing the game and seeing it's actually pretty good uh, <laughs> mm. i i really like castlevania too always have Anybody who is jumping on that bandwagon, I'm driving this bus, and you shut up. <laughs> yeah, well, you can drive. I will uh, control the, the intercom and just yell at people. Yeah, uh, really like that one. Um, which made, well, I think you've you've called this one your favorite, but Castlevania Three: Dracula's Curse, is that right? This is my favorite of the, the classic NES, well, not NES, the, the classic, you know, pre-structure. Uh, yeah, the pre-open world Castlevanias. This is my favorite one. I couldn't help but be disappointed coming from Castlevania 2 because uh, it kind of reverts back to the, the structure of the original. Um, it's a lot tighter. Uh, it's a lot more 
difficult. I did like that you could pick up other characters and and switch between, you know, two characters at a time. At, you know, at will uh, to help you get through sections. Also has the uh, the branching paths depending on which characters you pick, uh, which I thought was really cool. Um, sorry, no, you get to pick different paths, which can affect which characters you pick up. Sorry, misworded, but. So there's like a lot of replay value in playing through multiple times and taking taking the different paths, uh, which also affect your difficulty. I just kept going the top path every time, so <laughs> for my one playthrough, um, so I didn't uh, catch up with uh, Alucard. But it's worth mentioning this is the game that the Netflix anime is loosely based on, which I am a, a fan of. Love that a lot. Yeah, it's 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 like a tighter more realized version of of the first one i think well i just like how rich the world really feels in this this feels like the first castlevania that really expanded on what the setting was like and introduced a lot of the characters like uh sypha bellnades i think is her name Mm -hmm. yeah that that started the whole mage line of characters that exist parallel to the bellman family and going on in the castlevania series so Mm -hmm. and also alucard of course famously (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> got his start in this game so I, I just i really like i like the characters and i like the choices that you're able to make so yeah so then we got on to uh well, actually i think i played yeah no sorry then we got on to super castlevania 4 uh this was the first entry on the snes um this one felt like a huge step up mechanically there's the uh, multi-directional whip stuff a lot of the level design is very similar to the other games, it, it is like a 16-bit remake in a lot of ways, but you you know, got things like the swing mechanics. I feel like it fixes a lot of the, the control problems with the earlier games, but then it kind of makes this like the easiest one that I played. Like, I didn't really have to, you know, rely on any save scums, really. Uh, I think there was one mega difficult bit that I had to... I got fed up of replaying, so I, I, I saved scum through that. Yeah, overall, like it, it was a lot easier than some of the others. <laughs> the only downside was the the stuff uh, Andrew warned me about on Twitter was the mode seven implementation. Ah, <laughs> uh, there's like a yeah, it's like a dungeon, um, and it's a spinning tunnel, but it's all side scrolling, so it's it's migraine ammunition. It's it's insanely bad. Yeah, I don't have any distinct memories of it i'm not saying it's forgettable i'm just saying that i've forgotten that i've played it (laughs) i I know specific (laughs) things about it i have played it but i couldn't give you a complete opinion of the game yeah it was kind of like um almost like the cursed monkey paw thing of like man i wish these games did you know x y and z better and then it does it and it's just like uh it's not as good as i imagined but uh, it was a good time i had i had fun with it um i think that's my broad uh, thing with uh, most of these games is like the, there was one or two that I really liked and the rest are like I had a good time I'm glad I played it except for Castlevania the Adventure which is the uh, first iteration on the the Game Boy and it's easily one of the worst games I've ever played and absolutely misses the point of the Castlevania series it is uh, slow it's really easy it's really boring um, and the only plus point is that it's over in like an hour and a half. So uh, this is the only thing I have to say about that. It is utter tripe. And it was at that point I was kind of like, did I make a mistake by playing the SNES entry before these? Uh, but then I started up Castlevania 2 Belmont's Revenge, which is the second Castlevania entry 
on the Game Boy, and that was a huge improvement. Uh, Belmont's Revenge absolutely redeemed the uh, Game Boy entries in my eyes. This uh, this one actually understood what Castlevania is about. It felt like Castlevania. Um, I would have loved to have played this one back in the day. I think. Um, actually, you know, you know, like uh, when you're a kid and you get the game magazines, it's got the adverts for all, all the systems. Uh, Castle the Castlevania Game Boy games ones I used to like obsess over looking at, but never ended up trying to buy. <laughs> which is weird uh, with the NES you would have th- thought I would have gone to one of those first but I don't know something about the, the Game Boy versions uh, grabbed my imagination as a kid but uh, yeah this this second one is a huge improvement uh, and it you know it follows the same uh, kind of structures as the the oldest uh, NES entries but yeah it, it this was probably my second favorite game on the collection actually Andrew have you played the Game Boy ones before? I played Castlevania the Adventure. It's terrible. Mm-hmm. It's it's famously probably the worst Castlevania game ever. Um mm-hmm. and that's all I have to say about that. <laughs> Did you play the follow up? No, I uh, I have not. No worries. I think you should. But uh yeah, so moving on. <laughs> Mo- moving on. Uh we have Castlevania Bloodlines, also known as the new generation. Uh this was the Mega Drive's only Castlevania as I understand it, um, and it takes the vampire hunting theme and puts it into the 90s rather than the historical stroke fantasy setting of the all, all the other games. Um, so it basically gives you a choice of two characters who have attitude <laughs> and, uh, yeah, pulls up some interesting scenarios in, throughout the levels, uh, such as skeletons with uh, army helmets on and things. Uh, the, the choice of characters, you get one with the traditional whip, you get one with the spear. I opted for the whip just because I was kind of in the, the frame of mind with that as a game. It's fine. It's more Castlevania. It's got a distinct visual style compared to the others, um, so it makes it worthwhile having a playthrough just for that. Also, like the Game Boy ones, it's, it's really short, like uh, just a couple of hours long. Yeah, and then we get on to the weirdest entry on the anniversary collection, which is Kid Dracula. First time released in English, so I'm, I'm going to assume you haven't played this one at all, Andrew. No, it's probably be the first thing I do play when I finally get to this collection, but not where my attention is right now. It's weirdly loosely related to Castlevania. Um, it's classed as a spin-off, but it really doesn't have that much of a, a connection to it. Um, and it's Castlevania, by the way, of Super Mario Bros. 3, like you, you can tell what their inspiration was when they were making this, uh, and you can tell it straight away from the UI. Uh, um, it's a fun, cutesy little. It's I'd say it's a kid-friendly platformer. It's fun enough. Um, as you play through each level, gives you a new power up, which you keep permanently, and you can switch between them with a select button at any time. Uh, so you can turn into a bat, reverse gravity. For a large chunk of the game, you don't have to use anything but the default attacks. And then suddenly you have to start doing the puzzle solving uh, using your new abilities. So you, you you hit a point where you're like, oh yeah, I've got these things I can use. Um, but uh, yeah, I had, I had a fun time with it. Again, it's another another short game. Like the the whole collection can be beaten in under twenty hours. So yeah, so that that was that. Um, honestly, had a blast playing through uh, a bunch of these old games. Um, my highlights were Castlevania Two: Belmont's Revenge for the Game Boy and Castlevania, well, actually both the Castlevania 2s. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, uh, definitely recommend the collection. Uh, worth noting, unlike newer collections of retro games, there's no uh, reverse 
to uh, undo your mistakes, but it does have the save scumming if, if you want to use it. And that's that. So, uh, let's move on to the Messenger, which is a retro-themed side-scroller, I think. It is, and it's actually a horror game. You fight the demons of hell in it. Just want to point that out. Ah, cool. <laughs> no, actually, I, I finished this a couple weeks ago, but I've been I've been sitting on it because we've had really full episodes the last few weeks. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. The Messenger is a retro platformer. You play as a ninja uh, who doesn't have a name, so we'll just call them the Messenger. Uh, the uh, Messenger is part of a ninja clan who are surviving on an island after a demon invasion that wiped out most of humanity. Literally the only humans left alive are on this island in this ninja clan. And they have a prophecy that one day a hero will arrive from over the Western Ocean called the Western Hero who will deliver a scroll to the clan that will have instructions on how to save what remains of humanity from the next demon invasion. Now, the messenger doesn't really believe in this prophecy until the demon invasion happens, and then the western hero shows up and gives the scroll to him. So now he has to deliver this scroll to the top of the mountain on the island in order to fulfill the prophecy and stop the demon invasion. And uh, there's a lot more to it than that. There's a pretty big twist to it, but I'm not... I'm not sure if I should describe the twist or not, or if I should, uh... <laughs> um, <laughs> the, the twist is pretty well known by now. When you get to a certain point in the game, there's actually time travel that happens. You go 500 years into the future, and the game switches graphically from an 8-bit retro style to a 16-bit retro style. It's uh, amazing the first time it happens, and uh, the game looks really good in its 8-bit graphics, but the 16-bit graphics is just gorgeous. Uh... And it's also, it's, it's a really solid platformer by itself. Uh, it's based pretty heavily on Ninja Gaiden, I feel. Like, the, the player character basically is Ryu from Ninja Gaiden. He's dressed in a tunic. He's got a cowl on. It's dark blue. He is the player character from Ninja Gaiden on the NES. But his abilities are actually very different. Uh, he can use claws to grab onto and climb up walls. That, that's also from Ninja Gaiden. But he also has... A rope dart he can throw at targets and at enemies and at walls to pull him towards them. So there's a lot of places where you have to throw yourself off a cliff and then rope dart yourself to the wall before you fall into the pit and die, which is kind of interesting. And he has a wingsuit which lets him float and ride currents of wind to semi-fly. But his most useful ability is he has this thing called cloud stepping, which is actually the first ability he has in the game. It's basically double jumping, but in order to cloud step, you have to attack a target or an enemy with his sword. So you you hit them, and then this little lines of wind will appear beneath his feet. You can jump again, and what's really cool about this ability is you can keep using it over and over and over. So you hit an enemy, and then you you cloud step up, and then you hit another enemy, you cloud step to the next enemy, and if you get good at it, you can really chain it together to just fly through these levels, and it's a lot of fun. And it's also great on bosses, because you got the giant bosses, they have like a weak spot on their head. Uh, if you get good at it, you can just hit him with the head, cloud step, hit him in the head again, cloud step, hit him in the head again, and just keep going through. And that's the best way to damage him. And once I mastered that ability, uh, I was bringing bosses down pretty quick and pretty satisfyingly. I really enjoyed that. Now, another thing you may have heard about this game is that uh, it's kind of ni- like Ninja Gaiden, but after a while it turns into Metroid. <laughs> It doesn't do that. Um, <laughs> I, I don't want to say I was disappointed because I had I did not have high expectations for this game. Um, 
I hadn't really bought into the hype for it. I was just interested in playing it because I did think it looked good. But uh, a lot of people were saying that, wow, you get to a certain point in this game and it becomes Metroid because the game world does open up. You can go back to previous levels and you can go backwards and forwards through them. But the level structure is not at all like Metroid. This game just it doesn't work like Metroid. There are no largely interconnected areas there's just a few places you can go to in previous levels where you'll find an alternate path that will lead to a new area but the world isn't really interconnected in a way a metroid game is so it's a bit of an overstatement to say that but it is still interesting to go back with your new time traveling powers and see what the areas look like differently in different periods of time and how you can manipulate things to change things in the past so you can do something else in the future it's basic time travel video game stuff but it's pretty good it's a well-made game i never had any problems like actually playing it or interacting with it i didn't grumble at any point about you know just that something felt unfair or badly designed but it has its challenges and i mostly played this because it has a semi-sequel coming out called sea of stars which has that 16-bit graphics coming back again and it just looks amazing so I, I i had this on my list of games that i just had to play before sea of stars came out and i had a free period here to do it so i did i'm glad i did because it's actually it's a really good platformer just by itself you know i i play a lot of retro platformers uh and this is another one that i've played and i do recommend it nice uh, this is the one with the uh, beach themed dlc as well right yeah there's a dlc called picnic panic which uh parodies a lot of 8-bit game tropes there's a surfing level in it and it ends in a, a boxing match that's kind of like punch out but that that's uh <laughs> i didn't mention but the game is actually really funny i made it sound like a super serious save the world game but it's actually the game is fully aware that it's a video game there are several characters that just do nothing but make fun of all the video game cliches you run into <laughs> uh, but <laughs> picnic panic is just outright a comedy so that one's worth your time too and it's free like if you own the game already you can just download it for free and just play through it it's two hours super quick whereas the messenger was eight to ten hours so it's a good package altogether good value nice cool on to our next scary game uh tori you've been playing amnesia the duck descent uh which is kind of one of those uh run away from the big monster games um so how are you finding that one it is absolutely terrifying <laughs> so i I have played this before on PC, and it was way too much for me, and I stopped playing. So, for some reason, I thought, I'll get it on Switch this time. It's still scary. The The general gist of it is, uh, you are playing a guy who, funnily enough, cannot remember anything, hence the name Amnesia, and he's trying to piece together little bits of um, who he is, the the castle that he's woken up in, what's going on in that castle... Basically, the the actual player character is in the dark, pun intended. As much as the actual player is, you find like journals as you go through. Some of them narrated, some of them not. Not that I can really tell you what they're saying. It's written in a sort of ye old English sort of style, and I just find that hard to follow. <laughs> but um, most of the interesting parts of Amnesia have always been the gameplay elements. As far as I know, I could be wrong, uh, this is one of the first games to kind of introduce the whole insanity mechanic in a game where the more you spend, more time you spend in the dark, 
uh, the more in danger you are of being haunted or chased and spooked and hallucinations happening. Uh, so ideally you want to collect things like tinderboxes and uh, a lantern, fill it with oil so that you can light up your environment and, you know, stave off the, the insanity for a while. Um, it's also got a really interesting interaction mechanic with things like doors and closets and the like where you actually you grab onto the door and then have to move your character backwards so it's kind of physics based rather than it just being an interaction button but uh there's also moments in the game where yes you are kind of chased around it's not like an outright uh it's not like say alien isolation or anything like that or phasmophobia where you're being stalked it's more that there are sort of set pieces within the game where a monster is present and you just have to avoid them using different mechanics. Uh, the most memorable one is a monster that's invisible, completely invisible, but it only really goes for you when you step in the water. So ideally it kind of turns into a, a weird sort of platforming, the floor is lava puzzle, where you're mm. picking up objects and moving them so that you can stay out of the water. Uh, and it's clunky enough that you will fall in the water a lot and so the tension comes from kind of scrambling out of the water, making a whole bunch of noise. And uh, luckily you can see where the monster is because it does make splashes as it goes around. But um, that particular section of the uh, of the game wasn't really well lit. So it was kind of managing how lit the environment was to avoid going insane because you have a... You have your lantern with the oil and that runs out and it's not really giving you a lot of materials to kind of stay in the light. And you're doing all of that while being chased by a monster and staying out of the water and trying to find objects for you to pick up and place in front of you in the direction that you want to go. And then there was a, a sort of a timed puzzle again where you had to pull a lever and get to a certain point before the gate closed that you just opened. It's showing its age now. 2010, so it's an 11-year-old game, apparently. The collection is on Switch, so that includes the, the first game, The Dark Descent, Machine for Pigs, and there's another one that I can't remember the name of. But you're, you're essentially getting three games. Uh, I remember picking it up on sale. Uh, Justine, it's called. Uh, it runs pretty well on Switch. Not as well as I was expecting, especially for an 11-year-old game. Um, it... Feels less than 30 frames on even docked mode. Hmm. But something like this, it looks really nice on the OLED uh, screen just because it's it's a really dark game. So that darkness really does come through. Uh, and it makes the, the lit up areas pop uh, so much more. It's just unfortunate that a lot of the color palette, because you're exploring a castle... There's not a lot of colors in a castle and candlelight is a very sickly yellow light in this game so you'll be looking at a lot of the same color going through so visually not going to blow you out of the water but it does kind of play into the whole tension of uh exploring a castle you'll get lost a lot because a lot of the areas look the same but uh yeah, if you're looking for like an old school horror experience, I think Amnesia is one of the games that kind of really, um, not necessarily invented this style of horror game, but it definitely popularized it. I remember this being a, a big talking point when it first came out. 
it was the mm-hmm. game that you know if you could play it you were brave <laughs> but yeah it's uh it's more of a, a time capsule rather than a modern gaming experience or a modern horror experience yeah also uh in the same vein as uh, outlast yeah and that trilogy yeah also available on switch so. yeah it's it really tries to downplay combat in in fact it, you, there is no combat to speak of it's all about mm-hmm. uh trying to outwit your surroundings and your um your enemies now andrew dusk this is a uh retro styled first person shooter um has horror themes i think judging by the screenshots a very horrific um it's actually kind of a psychological horror game that has a twist villain that i wasn't real wild about but we can talk about that later Uh, (laughs) as a retro first person shooter it's based mostly on quake um also i've read it's based on blood i've never played blood i don't know what blood is about Mm -hmm. but uh that's what i've read so take that with a pinch of salt uh but as a a quake kind of clone since we're we're in a retro mood so we'll go back to the doom clone era as a quake clone it, it plays a lot like quake i was pretty satisfied with it on that level you play as this character who i guess is called the dusk dude because you know again we're, we're in the doom clone era so that's an it <laughs> characters, name for sure yeah characters don't have names they just uh have colloquialisms that catch on as their actual name because it doesn't matter how much Bethesda says the Doom guy's name is the Doom Slayer. His name is the Doom guy. And uh, <laughs> anyway, I'm really <laughs> off track now. What was I talking about? A game called Dusk, I think. Yeah, that's uh, the one. It just drops you into the game. I, I really had no idea what was going on, and I had to read some fan wikis after I beat it to find out what this game's story actually is like at the start you're just in this basement like this almost pitch black basement and you have two sickles in your hand and you get attacked by three guys with burlap sacks on their heads with chainsaws and you have to fight them off that's the first thing that happens in the game there's no opening cutscene. there's nothing that explains what's going on you're just you're just dropped into things and then after you kill off those three then you escape the basement and you find yourself in this rural farm country which again based off the fan wikis i have since read is based on pennsylvania i would have put it further south than that but what the hell do i know i i live in oregon so i don't really know anything about that stuff i just pretend i do and (laughs) another major enemy they fight there will be guys in white robes wearing pointed white hoods so i was like oh that's uh that's reminiscent of the Ku Klux Klan. That's that's really unusual to see here. But th- <laughs> these guys have out-and-out magical powers. They float and they shoot balls of magic at you. Just kept going through this farm country. There's demon goats. There are scarecrows that come to life with shotguns that try to shoot you. And basically just picking your way through this farm country. I don't know what my goal is. I just know that I'm killing things and I'm looking for level exits. It's a quake slash doom style game and that was episode one uh there are three episodes total and episode one was the first one they finished from what i understand on the production history 
the game was kind of in limbo for a little while where they worked on episode two and three and they worked much harder on those episode one was kind of like a proof of concept kind of like a shareware game if you don't know what shareware is look that up uh (laughs) worked much the same way uh and then i got into episode two and three and the game just gets so much more ambitious like I i could tell when i was playing episode one there's a really solid game engine here but the level design they've made for it and the enemies i have to fight it it's just it's kind of boring to be honest but episode two and three the levels get huge and they get trippy like uh episode two has you running around this military facility that's involved in what's going on in some way or another and there's just this tunnel i found that's just this line of dozens upon dozens of spinning blades just spinning in alternating directions. It's just hypnotizing to look at. And that's in the middle of this machine that's basically just a giant grinder for meat. What kind of meat? I'll let you use your imagination because you know what kind of meat I'm talking about. And as you get down into further into this machine, then you find these other areas. Like uh, the, the first level I could really tell like this game actually is legitimately genius level design was this area called the escher labs so based on mc escher give you some idea of what that level was like and then you get down into episode three where you're you're past the military base and you're in this more out and out psychological horror area where you're you're either in another plane of reality or you're exploring your character's like fractured memories could be one could be the other you don't really know but the gravity just doesn't work right in some levels there's like there's like one level where you fall off a floating island and you just keep falling and then suddenly you're above the island and you can use that to get on top of like the roofs of houses and get inside things and then you're inside the house and you you flip a switch in there and suddenly the gravity turns sideways so you can fall sideways out of the house and keep falling through the universe again and come back to the house and fall through a window you couldn't get out on the other side (laughs) that was a great level um i just really thought this was a great game more and more and more and then i got to the last two levels which were conceptually terrible basically they were just they were (laughs) bad i mean there's no other way to say it um but as i've often said endings are hard And sometimes you just get to the point where you're like, oh, my God, I have to finish this thing where there's a deadline coming up and we haven't done anything for the ending. And that's kind of what this felt like. (laughs) The second to the last level is just you're on this island loaded up with guns and ammo and you have to fight basically every enemy in the game, dozens of them at a time, just over and over and over again. It's really hard and really repetitive. I didn't enjoy a single moment of it. And then the last level has a pretty interesting final boss fight against another character who's basically you he has guns and all that and he moves a lot like you it's it's a lot like fighting a a person in a quake arena and then there's a twist boss and the twist boss is just i rolled my eyes i was like really (laughs) that's where you're going with this game because i really thought they were going someplace interesting and they went someplace really predictable as far as psychological horror games go but bad boss but the rest of the game was just fantastic if you're into quake games and you haven't played dusk already because this this was out on steam a couple years ago uh but if you're a fan of those kind of games there is something really good here and it's an excellent port runs at 60 fps didn't have any crashes didn't have any hiccups it just runs great 
really good shooter the ending aside yeah cool i I do like the resurgence of the retro styled shooter um I, i i hope there's more of those uh yeah so i think that's it for the episode then Okay, folks, what are we playing in the coming week? Uh, Andrew? I'm playing a game called Unpacking, which is uh, about unpacking things from boxes after you move. <laughs> uh, and Tori? Ooh, i got a lot going on. Um, I want to be streaming Fatal Frame or Project Zero, whatever you want to call it. Maiden of ba- uh, Blackwater tonight. Um, we got a code for Voice of Cards, so I'm going to be playing through that. But there's also the Animal Crossing update this Friday. I've already started uh, getting set up for that, for the, all the farming and everything. And um, I'm going to be talking more about Super Mario... No, Mario Party Superstars. There's a super in there somewhere. And I should have my copy by then as well. Oh, so nice. That works, that works out nice. <laughs> um, so yeah, so that's probably what I'll be bringing next week. Uh, I have made a little start on the Castlevania Advance Collection I'd like to to do some more of that so yeah uh, i might throw in a surprise uh, older backlog game but we'll, we'll see how it goes okay that's it for episode 171 i uh, hope you had a scarily good time if you enjoyed this episode uh, even despite the puns uh, please leave us a review on itunes it really helps to get noticed you can also listen and subscribe on Stitcher, Spotify, and other podcast services. Make sure to check out our sister shows, PlayStation and The Power of X. Uh, that's a PlayStation and Xbox show, respectively. We're all part of the Game Podular network. And with that, you can join our Discord server to interact with the Game Podular community. You can follow us on Twitter, YouTube, and at GamePodular.com for updates, news, and other content. Links for all this stuff is in the show notes. If you'd like to support our show and, by extension, the network, you can buy us a coffee. Or you can become a Game Podular Patreon. Details for both of these things are on our website. Thanks in advance. Uh, this episode was edited by me, Andy Corrigan, and you can follow me on Twitter at Flame Roast Toast, and you can follow the other two panelists on Twitter as well. Uh, Andrew is at Play Critically, and you can read all his long-form reviews over at PlayCritically.com, and Tori is at Stew2, that's S-T-W-T-W-O. You can also follow her streaming adventures over at twitch.tv forward slash Tori S-T-W.
Perfect. You're perfect. Oh, happy Halloween. Yeah, I already knew that. (laughs) (laughs) Such a bratty thing to say. (laughs) Yeah.